You're tuned to Brogzilla Radio. Welcome, everybody, to the very first edition of what we're calling Tabletop Genesis. We're doing this because uh, the four of us who are here, who will be introduced soon, we're all sitting around a table and talking about Genesis. Exciting? Of course. <laughs> so, with that, let's introduce ourselves. Uh, let's start with Tom over here. Hello, this is Tom Roche. I've been a Genesis fan since... About 86, I got laid on the bandwagon after everyone went to You got laid on, the bandwagon? laid on the bandwagon? Oh my god! Who <laughs> bought? Everyone in my school was going to see them that year because it was the thing to do, and once they finished touring, that's when I got into them. So, all right. I've been making up for it ever since. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah, my name is Simon Godfrey. Um, I'm a pro- professional musician originally from the UK, but I now live in Philadelphia. One of the things that I found out, uh, especially about hanging around with you guys, is that I used to think I know a lot about Genesis, <laughs> but I really don't. No. Uh, hi, I'm Stacey Hartung Godfrey, um, but please call me Stabacab. <laughs> From the old days of the forum. <laughs> yeah, and I've been a fan also, like Tom, since 86. Although I thought they only had three albums at the time. No, I'm sorry, two. The the Mama album and Invisible Touch. That was it. Until 92 when my uh, my eyes were opened for me. That's a, a tale for another time. Right. Uh, and I am Mike Lord. I have been a fan, I'll say since about 83, 84 probably. Uh, first saw them live in 87 at the end of the Invisible Touch tour. And... Um, you know, it's been a great number of years being a fan of, the, fan of this band. And the reason why we're doing this podcast, the four of us, and we'll have other people joining us at different times uh, when, as we record these going forward, is that when we get together as friends, we all seem to have met through this band. Um, through the initially Stacy and Tom and I, I met Stacy and Tom through the old Genesis website, the forum that was on there. Um, you, to Stacy and Tom, met. We met in 97 through Paperlate. Yeah. Which was the older version when it was just, you get an email list of all these emails together. Right. And and Simon was in there just from music in general, I think, the progressive scene and everything, how you and Stacy met. Yeah. I think it's it's just like anything else, you know, similar similar tastes, you know, attract similar people, you know, exactly. and uh, right. sooner or later. Yeah. And now, so, when as we would get together just to have fun and go out to eat and, you know, be social... We would spend the majority of our time talking about this band. <laughs> and actually, back in January, Simon had the great idea of saying, why don't we do a podcast about this? And we all said, this is brilliant. And so, here we are. And so, what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to take one album at a time for right now. With some theme episodes in the future, perhaps. So, mm-hmm. we're going to start with Abacab, because we figured it's actually a good album to jump into, because many people jumped in at that time to be fans of the band. Uh, it started the 80s out. And uh, Simon, why don't you talk a little bit about 
the Wikipedia page and just the general oh, history yes. of Abacan. I will be the Wikipedia wizard. Yes, the I? Wikipedian, perhaps. Okay, right. Well, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about what this album yeah. is. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, this is according to the uh, Wikipedia page that we uh, that I pulled up here. Uh, it just says Abacab is the eleventh studio album by British band Genesis, released in September of 1981. It reached the top of the UK album charts, remaining in the charts for 27 weeks. The US, uh, sorry, in the US, the album sold over two million copies and was certified double platinum by the RIAA. The sound. Now, this is maybe a little bit more editorial, but we'll get onto that a little bit later. The sound is more synth-orientated, but sparingly arranged, with a less dense texture than the previous albums. The, uh, the, uh, the result has been called Art Rock. And if you could see my fingers going up in little <laughs> yes. quotation marks there... Um, so that's more or less a sort of starting point. So, what would you like to talk about? Well, then? let's uh, let's just do a track by track talk about this. Uh, the strange thing, I think we don't have actually the album right in front of us, but we can do this track by track from memory. Yeah, actually, I where is? We didn't we have the we CD? We move them off to the Let side. Let me just go grab so, the yes, CD as we have some walking sound effects going down. <laughs> And if we, so, can't, if we can't list it track by track by memory, you can stop listening. I know. Right we, now. Should, <laughs> we don't deserve to be on this podcast. <laughs> we, are, we are going to talk about... Yes, and we'll add yeah. in Three Sides Live as the live uh, period for that. And first up um, was Land of Confusion. All <laughs> right. Oops. The studio, so, I thought, no. Obviously on Abacab, the very first track is Abacab. listening to this just to jump in with this this past week one thing i really jumped out of me with abacab was that the first song just the way it jumps in you put the at this point you put the cd on and that kind of initial bow you know and jumping into that dun 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 it was like this is a statement of purpose of energy that not that you hadn't heard on a genesis album before but for this album i was like this album grabs you from the first second of it just being there and you're going to take this album and again as you listen accept it or not but it certainly puts itself out there to begin with well, i think i think it was probably a little bit of how they were feeling at the time musically and and getting out there and just giving it all giving it their all because duke is like that too i right. mean from the start of behind the lines it grabs you and it's like just you know hold on for the ride and i think that was the way that abacab was right it kind of, I think, when you go to the next album, Mama, it's a little more subtle beginning. But these two albums just like kind of grabbed you from the beginning, right? Yeah, they grab you by the balls, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's Grab a ball grabbing track. It's a ball it is grabbing, grabbing track. track. It is. Have a ball grab. <laughs> and what I love about the the opening track because I think it says so much about the album as a whole and where they are 
as a band is this is the, this is the album to me and and it's especially apparent in Abacab the track um where they sound like an old married couple in many ways. <laughs> so they've gotten so comfortable being around each other and playing with each other. And this track just sounds so organic. Sure. And um, it, it has a really great vibe and a flow um, and a jam to it in many ways, which I think is even amped up further in the lot when the live uh, version. Sure. On Three Sides Live and, and such. So that's what I love about the track. Um, I hate the lyrics. I love the music. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it, it has that, you know, feel of you know, moving forward and you're grabbing you with the lyrics not really necessarily giving you anything tangible to grab onto, which is not a bad thing. No. But it's not necessarily like, you're not listening to Bob Dylan singing about, you know, social issues. It's a, it's a song that you don't necessarily know what it's about. You don't, you don't often hear Bob Dylan talk about being wrapped up in cellophane. <laughs> not, not, not on the not albums, at least. So. <laughs> well, I have one question here, which I, I want to throw out to you guys, sure. which is, I've always felt that that Genesis nearly always open. Well, in fact, I can't think of an instance where Genesis don't open an album with a statement of intent, like sure. the album is going to sound like this, right. and that that nearly always happens. That very first track is like right. a like a kind of handshake, really, if you will. Yeah. It does definitely. I mean it does help establish what you're going to hear. And the Wikipedia entry said stripped down or whatever the phrase was in there, which I kind of... Sparse. Sparse. <laughs> which I disagree with. I think that it might have been less obviously, you know, mm. layered in certain ways. But, you know, you listen, and I'm jumping ahead, but you listen to some of the percussion in pieces like Dodo or even Keep It Dark, mm -hmm. um, and that is not necessarily sparse. That is arranged in a way that makes sense. Well, I, I have a, yeah. a question to ask, and this is something which actually, um, for, for, for listeners at home, you probably won't be aware, <laughs> but um, Mike here was actually uh, uh, worked for the for the uh, Hit and Run. The, uh, the it was Hit and Run, wasn't it? Was, it? it was. I always describe it as as management. Um, management, <laughs> exactly. I worked oh, for Ultrastar as I was the webmaster for the website, the official website, from about two thousand seven, late two thousand seven until mid two thousand ten, when the website closed down. Um, and so I have. And I always hesitate to say this: a slight inside track on certain things, but not not, not as a much kiss as, and tell not as much thing, as some yeah. people probably yeah. thought at the time. Yeah, but yeah. you know, well, the uh, reason yeah. the reason why I make mention of this mm -hmm. is because I think this was, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, this was the very first album that they recorded at the farm. Yes, they recorded it at the farm. They rehearsed it in the which barn. is their which Next, is their yeah, studio. their actual studio. Yeah, for yeah. those of you, for those of you Genesis fans who don't know that who are listening <laughs> to this podcast, uh, the farm is a studio in Surrey, England, where they recorded uh, Abacab, the Mama album, Invisible Touch, you know, We Can't Dance, everything basically after Abacab was recorded there. And at the time, they were building the studio, so they didn't re they rehearsed this all in the barn next to the studio, but then were able to record, so they didn't have the time pressure of renting other studios to do this. It was much more... I mean, it still cost them money because they built the studio, but they were not paying for, you know, a studio in London by the day or however they paid for those. And this well, was the first one also where they brought in Hugh Padgham. Yes. Yes, it was, yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think they all liked the fact that he made them sound on record like they sounded live. Right, that's the. I think they like the the sound opening up and just being able to capture. 
because they by this point they were actually I think a bigger live band than they were sure. album sales. Yes, the Phil had been working on Peter's third solo album called Peter Gabriel, and <laughs> he was uh, that was what created the dated drum sound that Phil really liked, mm-hmm. and Phil brought that into the guys when they were recording this and said, you know, we should you or when they were talking about having a producer or an engineer, because uh, he was not listed as, an, as a producer of this album, I don't believe. No, I think he was. He, he was, was largely just, brought on as a facilitator yeah, because they were still finding, right. their, their feeling their way out in the, right. uh, from the studio, really. And so I think that he was the person who kind of helped Gabriel create that sound, and they went forward from there. So, yeah, so it's definitely... Yeah, produced by Rutherford Collins Banks, engineered by Hugh Padgham. So Hugh doesn't have an engine, a producer's credit, but I'm sure that he was definitely in there, you know, with getting everything ready. Yeah, you could kind of say that that um, the Genesis as a as an entity, this was the 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 almost the exact middle part of their in of their life really right. if you if you take it from the first yeah. album right through to I don't know the uh, you could even say the reunion in in two thousand and seven. Yeah. And they and they say a lot of times that if they could have very easily continued on a certain path and become a parody of themselves. Well, funnily enough, actually, I, I, can I if I can yeah, just quote from in, yeah. uh, the uh, it, again? This is quoting from the uh, the Wikipedia page. He said, "Genesis initially wrote an album's worth of material, which they subsequently discarded because they saw themselves becoming, in Mike Rutherford's words, a caricature, a caricature of ourselves." Um, in what he saw as a major turning point for the group, they made the decision to throw out any songs which sounded like anything they had done before. Right. Yeah, which made sense. Oh. And uh, <laughs> Stacy's bringing up a quote here too. Yes. So I'm talking about the album, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this because now we're talking about Abacab as, as an album and where it fits in, in their whole catalog. So Bang said, Abacab often provoked a strange response. But it was an absolutely necessary album in our career. We had to change. We couldn't carry on as we were. It marked a watershed. So does, do you think that means we had to become more commercial? Hmm. We okay. had to just change completely? Or well, is it, you know, what? My, my thoughts on this is that they did the one thing which every supposed progressive rock hmm. act did which you should do which is progress progress right. yeah um, but then again you know there are people that would argue that, that that it wasn't necessarily a progression but i certainly think that they they were trying to do something right. which they'd never done before for genesis it was a progression right maybe mm-hmm. it seemed like everything else given when it was released right. i don't know and, so. the, and this is a band that started out as a group of songwriters who wanted to write pop songs for the Bee Gees, basically you yeah. know i yeah. mean that in that genre of music no, and Jonathan so, King wanted that right. to write like the Bee Gees. Right. Bee Gees but they always Bez wanted they always passage. wanted to write songs. Yeah. They got into the progressive piece because that's where it took them. And Abacab was where this took them when they really said, Oh, you know, we're kind of doing just what we've done already. What are we gonna do differently? And something that Mike said in I don't know if it was in his Living Years book or, you know, elsewhere, is that it's very easy to come up with long songs. You just string the bits together. Mm-hmm. It's harder to write a, a more concise yeah. song. You know, so again, people will argue that, but that was their approach. Um, and I think uh, it, it wasn't in terms of like intentionally trying to do something commercial and write shorter songs. Right. And, and it was just they felt it was time to change. Like let's try 
just to satisfy ourselves, let's try something right. different. Let's go on in this direction. Yeah. And they always defended themselves by saying they wrote what they wanted to hear. They wrote right. the music right. that they wanted exactly. to play. And if everyone liked it, great. Right. If if not, it was just a, something they were trying. And let's and let's be honest here. When we talk about commercial songs, we're talking about Abacab, a seven minute long song. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Me and Sarah Jane, a six minute long song that, that does not repeat itself ever in the music. Uh, Keep it dark, a song that's you know again shorter, but is fairly not commercial. It was released as a single, which always amazes me. Dodo, very commercial. Um, who done it? I'm surprised that didn't go to the top of the shot of charts. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is if you look at an album and you say, "Oh, this is commercial." I I disagree with that. I don't think that this is necessarily a commercial album. I think that some people say, you know, maybe maybe the market caught up with them versus them catching up with the market. Right, or they're getting their asses burnt by punk music, or <laughs> well, you know, some of the trends I mean, that are happening around them at this time. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. you should say that because I, I think. No band or no artist ever works in a vacuum. And I think a lot of bands were, were reflecting the change of the age, really. When you think about it, you only have to look across the uh, the other side of the road and uh, um, a band called Yes were about to release 90125, you know. Right. So I think it, it just goes to show that there was a, a sea change at work. Right. And, you know, let's, anything more specifically about the song Abacab... <laughs> that you well, know, we, only, <laughs> only above the, only above the fact that apparently it was based upon the original I saw the order of the sections. Right, it was an A section, a, you know, yeah. a, a B section, and, and that kind of sort of stuff. But um, I think, like so many uh, songs, they start out and um, yeah. uh, and then they veer off in another direction. I think uh, there's actually a, a quote. The album takes its name from an early arrangement of the track. Rutherford said on the US radio show in the studio with Redbeard. Uh, which spotlighted Duke and Abacab in one episode. There were three bits of music in Abacab, and we referred to them as Section A, Section B, and Section C at different times. And they were all, obviously, we would shift the order around. We'd start with Section A, then we'd have Section C, and at one point, it spelled Abacab. Right. I mean, yeah. really... One the song just writes itself. Exactly. So, oh, made that the chorus. Why not? Brings us round to to one of the other things, yeah. which is this was also the first album where I think they started writing together, together. in a room. Right. right. They were Mike and uh, Tony had each had their solo albums released. It was during the recording of this when Face Value came out, or at least in the air tonight came out and went to number one. Um, and they were they, that was a bit odd during recording. I know that they've talked about it in interviews before, um, but very good too because it was you know again success for the individual members of the band really helps out the band itself. Um, but yeah, it was it was a shift in saying you know we have our solo stuff to do our own things. Let's keep Genesis for what's special about the three of us writing together, and that's why there's only one solo track per member on this album. And then after this, there's never a solo track. It's always collaboratively, excuse me, written there. Um, one thing I want to say about Abcab the song itself is that I'm always amazed with the end instrumental part that you can play something like that live and remember where everything goes. <laughs> you know, that's just as as a very amateur musician myself. And you think, oh yeah, that's you know, after the song part, you have this again probably live about four or five minute jam that they played the same all the time and it's not necessarily easy to do that and I thought that was very impressive that they were able to take this 
what might have been a collection of jams in the studio and really replicate that live all the time. I think one of one of my favorite live tracks of theirs is Abacab from the Wembley shows in the summer mm-hmm. of 87. I mean, you listen to Abacab, I mean, that last instrumental section, they just kick ass and take names. I mean, right. that is, mm-hmm. it's like they speed it up a little bit yeah. in concert and they just end and you just like, whoa, what the hell just hit me? Mm-hmm. Which I think makes it even a little bit sadder that after that Invisible Touch tour, they never touched Abacab live right. again. Nothing from that album yeah. was ever played live again. Which was surprising again. to me. And that's, yeah. uh, that's something we can certainly get into our... our oh, uh, that. Talk, yeah, they, they, after that. Yeah. There was never it. anything played. Uh, I remember when I saw the 92 tour and this drum machine bit started playing. And I remember thinking just recently that I was like, oh, I thought that was going to be Man on the Corner they were playing. And it ended up being Fading Lights, uh, which was great. But I remember thinking like, oh... I remember initially thinking like, oh, they're playing Man on the Corner. That's a different uh, different selection to choose from. So the next song on this album is <laughs> No Reply at All. What do people this, think? This, <laughs> oh, this gives me a lady horn. Um, <laughs> let me just tell you right now. The the bass line in Are this track <laughs> gives me a lady boner. I love it. And to me, this track... So, this is Mike Rutherford's album, in my opinion. Okay. I always think when I hear like band uh, when bands I follow, so I kind of know their whole career, and Genesis is definitely one of them. I always think, oh, this is a, you know, this is this member's album. Like, they really shined in this and this. But the, from, so for, for Abacab, this is a Mike Rutherford album. His bass work is incredible to me. This is, No Reply at All is that, this is the album, uh, I'm sorry, is a track I listen to on headphones quite often. Sure. Um, so if you haven't listened on headphones lately, do it. Get a stiffy, and then you can you can write to me and thank me for it, right? Because and, it is incredible. And it may, he makes it sound so easy. Yes, that's one thing. With I think his it's a bass fretless player. bass he's playing, isn't it? I'm not sure about that. On the video, it's fretted. Okay. So, but it's a video. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So um, <laughs> they're playing their fingers in yeah. the video. Right. But, he, but that's that's it's it's one of those things. As again, as a very amateur bass player myself, you know. You hear that and you're like, wow, I could play that. That's easy. Listen to how he does it. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually sit down and say, oh, I'm going to figure this out. And you're like, after two minutes saying, no, <laughs> that is not going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's it's not easy. And it's it's a great track. And it's, again, not a track that you'd think of as being a single, at least not in my mind, this kind of bass-driven track with weird horn, not weird horns in it, but, you know, odd it's just a strange little track with this strange little keyboard sound and horns in it. It's well, one of the cool. things we were just talking before we started the podcast was was about the um, the Earth, Wind & Fire, or right. the Phoenix Horns, as right. they became known as. And weren't you quoting from uh, my Rutherford's book about uh, uh, their, their first their first attempt at playing this? Yeah, uh, Tony hadn't gone over, which is probably a good thing, to L.A. Yeah, right, right. To, to supervise this. Uh, it was... 
I'm sure Phil's idea because he'd used them before on his solo albums. So they're in the studio with Hugh and Phil and Mike's kind of like sitting in the background because Phil and Hugh have done this before with the horns. And I guess before they got started, they had to kind of indulge in all their, uh, you know, extracurricular activities that that was their inspiration for playing maybe some little <laughs> smoke here and there whatever a little sniff there who knows and i guess the first couple tracks the first couple attempts were horrible horrendous <laughs> where mike is looking at hugh and phil going yes and they would not even make eye contact with him <laughs> because they did not want to see his reaction and i think uh as we're saying with with horn players just give it a few times they got to warm up and sure. i think they nailed it and i think yeah, people yeah. probably oh, slag yeah. off no reply at all, thinking, oh, well, here's Phil really starting his influence on the band because he's right. his solo stuff. But it's something different, and as soon as Abacab ends, you're like, okay, that had a little bit of a lyric and then instrumental. And the horns come out of nowhere. If you, weren't, if, if you right. were around and bought the album and didn't know it, those horns have never been used before, and you're like, whoa, this is different, which right. is good. It kind of like, mm-hmm. it's not the same old, same yeah. old. Another song that starts with a bam, and you're off. You're off. Yep. So... And it's after this, you know, three or four minute kind of instrumental that fades out and you're like, oh, okay, there it goes. And then this jumps at you with horns. So I think that's great. It's a Phil lyric from what I remember. So, you know, it's, uh, there's, Phil tended to write a bit more directly than the other guys. So I think that you can actually at least take this lyric and understand it compared to Abacab, as you right, said before. Right. So anything else on no reply? Uh- I just like how, how much fun they seem to be having at this yeah. period because yeah. if you look at the video for that, the three of them are just swapping instruments. Tony's <laughs> Tony's playing a horn, right. mm-hmm. which is insane. He's actually letting loose for a little bit, and uh, Phil misses the lip sync at one point, and he realizes it, and he look, kind of looks left, looks right, like, oh, I know, I screwed up there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and people who think that, oh, well, the old Genesis is gone. I mean, you look at Tony during that song. He's using the hand-over-hand keyboards right. for that part like Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they're still using bits from their old days, but yeah. just reworking it in new ways to kind of like change the sound a little bit. This is one of those songs that I kind of look at and I'm like, how do you write something like this? Like you have obviously the chord basis, but then when does Mike say, well, I'll just go crazy on the bass with this <laughs> and make it work, you know? And this is again, one of those kind of, I'd love to see a making of this track. Like what were the early versions like? Was When did it become kind of a bass showcase um, and but in a bass showcase, not even in a way that's like showy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't scream. Look at this bass doing crazy things until you really realize, oh, that's a bass doing that. It's not a strange guitar. It's not this. It's not that. Well, he was so. ahead of his time. Even back yeah. then, he was all about the bass. Of course, all about so. the bass. <laughs> yeah, this is true. So. And I think um, live, uh, poor old Daryl Sturmer had to be the horn section. Yes, yeah, with a kind of. At least on all the boots I've heard, you know, oh, it's, it's fairly the, the the guitar never sounds quite as good. It does it doesn't no. give the song the energy no, it needs. It you really need the horns. and I wonder if there's version out there with Mike doing the guitar in the studio and them kind of realizing, oh, this isn't quite, you know, what we need it to be. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, as musicians you want to kind of jump in and see, you know, see what's going on. So I think that works. Don't 
me and Sarah Jane. I see. Now, this is one of my favourites. Oh, yeah. This is one I of think, my favourites. I, I think it's a yeah. highlight of the <laughs> 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 All right. The three guys like this yeah, song. It so goes on and on. I don't know. I get tired of it after a while. Yeah. Okay. No, but also, this is this is one of those, uh, this is one of the tracks which, um, which features, obviously, the drum machine as well. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I think that's where, you know, the story is that they were all given these, what, Roland 808 uh, drum machines, the three of them. In Japan, I think. Yeah, I think when maybe when they were there in 78, and they all kind of, you know, started using these. Tony actually used his on his demos for Curious Feeling, which he doesn't have anymore, uh, which uh, he... You kind of, I've got the album. You can have a copy. Yeah, of there you go. So no, the, de- the old demos where, and it would have been great if those had been able to be released because it showed that they were all using this, not just Phil, who used it very famously for "In the Air Tonight." Uh, it was used on Duchess also with uh, that beginning interlude between the behind the lines and Duchess. But yeah, this was a way of starting this song out, having these and and very. They really didn't just use it for a basic beat. They really knew how to kind of create these little drum melodies on on the drum machine. So, what's your uh, beef with it? What, yeah, what, Stacey's what putting on a yeah. vomit bag. Right? <laughs> I just threw up in my mouth. Um, <laughs> not... Now, it... you were always jealous of Sarah Jane, weren't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> I wanted to be said no. Um, I. To me, this feels. To me, this is more than whodunit. Dare I say it? But is like really sticks out in my mind as it doesn't belong in the album because to me, if okay, the sound they're using, the instrumentation, um, is very much in line with Abacab. But I think that the approach to the song, it's very, you know, kind of like that. To me, it reminds me like it's like a one of the vine kind of. Too clever for its, its own good. It's too clever for its own good. It it goes on a little bit. It meanders, in my opinion. But um, it contains reggae. I, well, which, which is the one genre I'm really not into. So maybe that's why it is. It's not a selling point for you. I'm sorry, but uh, it just this this doesn't grab me like some of the other tracks on the album. It just. You know, sometimes I skip it. That's all right. Yeah. You know, you can't like everything. Yeah. Well, that was one of our uh, musician friends who's not here today. This uh, friend of ours named Adam mentioned to me in passing about this song. He's like, the thing about me and Sarah Jane is that it never repeats itself. There's not, it's not verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle eight, verse, chorus type of thing. There's, you know, something happens at the beginning. You never hear that piece again. You have that initial kind of, you know, the fires are burning in another right. land. You never hear that part again. And goes on throughout the entire song, and I never quite realized that consciously about this song. And I was like, "Oh, that's very cool that I that he kind of did that a song that doesn't repeat itself." And I never noticed it. And I think, um, think Stacy would hope that it would never repeat itself. Exactly. I remember. I do actually do remember consciously thinking. I think when I first got into the song that it was. Very reminiscent of old Genesis, but in a six-minute condensed version where they didn't need to write a 15-minute, 20-minute prog song to have all these different feelings and and time signatures. Like, he was able to do that in six minutes and keep my attention and a a big ending. And I was like the fact that they were living in a a poor town in the song because Mm -hmm. they weren't enough money to keep the streetlights on at the very end of the song. That's a shame. (laughs) (laughs) I think it also proves... uh, that they have a skill which not a lot of people really stole them for, mm-hmm. which is amazing arrangers. Oh, they sure. really know how to arrange a song and, right. and let it flow from, from start to finish. I hear you on that. So. And I think my probably real beef with the Three Sides Live DVD 
is that they cut off the song. You never hear the end of it. You, oh, it builds sure. up, and then they cut to an interview. And you and never get you, you don't you don't, don't get, get that like, release you get like, again. Yeah. Oh. Me and but Sarah Jane Blue Balls. The, that's what you Sarah get. Jane yeah. is interrupted. Yes. Oh uh, well, the interview's in Philadelphia, so oh, okay. that makes it better. <laughs> Sorry, local <laughs> plug. That's right. Keep it dark. <laughs> Now, I, this has got one of the best intros, I think, yeah. to a Genesis song. Sure. You know, I, I think everybody will say sort of, the moment you say keep it dark, you're thinking, well, where's the drums coming in? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's it's just such a simple little song. It's science fiction-y mm-hmm. with the guy being taken out and, you know, into a spaceship and nobody doesn't, nobody will believe him. And it's a great little track. I think that it's cool. It sounds neat. It sounds, again, unlike anything with Genesis before. And I think this also shows the the arrangement piece that when you have these type of people who had done these 20-minute songs, or a 20-minute songs, they didn't do them all, um, did a... that they could arrange this and put little touches in that really worked. Like the chorus, if you even call it that, the Keep It Dark line... You know, to have a drummer slash percussionist like Phil who's able to come up with all these little bits and the scratchy bits there and the little, you know, almost kitchen implement sounds that are going Mm -hmm. on. If you just, you think, that's one of those things that you think, oh, this is easy to do. I can just get a bunch of stuff and start tapping and it'll work out. And then if you do that, you realize, oh, this is hard (laughs) to make this sound good. I think in, in, in a lot of ways, you can always tell a talented band because it goes with the adage of the art is to conceal the art. Right. And if you can make something, which is essentially quite a complex tune mm-hmm. when you think about how it starts and how it develops, mm-hmm. make it sound very natural and make it sound simple, you've won in right. a lot of ways. Yeah. I think Phil does a great job playing the trash cans and <laughs> the pots and pans yes. in this album. He no, is, and yeah. when I first heard this yeah. album, which I think I was probably 16 at the time, I honestly thought that. I was like, oh, they're like doing kind of like this avant-garde, like oh, fancy, you know, kind stomp of kind of uh, yeah. feel to it. And I love the track. I love Simon Collins's Phil Sun's uh, yeah. cover of the song sure, too, because yeah. um, I think it, it, it just, yeah, like it's just well-written, yeah, nice little track. I, it's right in the right spot in the album. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. I, I, yeah. I always thought it was leaned more towards Banks, kind of song yeah. sure maybe rutherford banks more banks because there's a song on i think one of tony's albums 
a single song where it talk where he sings on it, which I think is sure. It's a horrible song. Sorry, I can't say. He, I love his stuff. I love it. It's right, great okay. stuff. But there's one song where a guy he's walking down the street and I'm feeling really good. Yeah, and it sounds like it's this. Hero where a guy, for an hour. Hero for an hour. That's yeah. it. This song reminds me of Hero for an Hour because really? I'm right. just walking down the street. A UFO comes out of the way. I get pulled up. No I one believes Tony me. I think Tony was abducted. He might have been. He might have been. been. Yeah, you, you know, know let's not. They let's, brought let's him to, the, to the planet of striped jerseys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. End of side one. Hi, this is Peter Jones from Tiger Moth Tales and not at all from Genesis. And you're listening to Progzilla. And I think you'll find it's very, 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 very good. Hmm, did that work? No. Oh. See, I, this this is a uh, I I think this is an, an immense track actually. Uh, yes. I believe, if I remember correctly, that this was actually going to be part of a longer suite of songs. Yeah, there's talk about things that that in in the there's the fan myth that this then would lead into Submarine, I think, which is one of the unreleased tracks, which would lead into is it Naminanu? Naminanu, yeah. and then would go into the final piece of that, which I can't remember what. Mm. Um, Sounds like that's the kind of thing that they were purposely trying to avoid. Yeah, yeah. right. Album. And and I think that there's a little bit of history to that, but it seems like that they all say that they that was dismissed pretty early on that they would do anything like that. So uh, by the band. So yeah, it's definitely a track that's you know again yeah, some of Tony's best oblique lyrics out there. Dog baiter agitator. Um, with a little riddle Darth in it. Vader. Uh, right. it's Darth it's Vader it's Darth Vader, Vader. Like, hey, <laughs> yes that, that's what I thought for years and actually it's still uh, what saw it the is. lyrics um, yes Tony doing a Star Wars reference which again combines two worlds of nerddom <laughs> yes. right there that would be overload yes yeah. so I think that that's that's where you know we really come in, come in with this it's a great song I think that pairing this with then live going into Abacab afterwards mm-hmm. always worked. Mm-hmm. This song actually opened up the Mama Tour um, as the first song of the night uh, for the entire tour, which I think, again, if you're coming in after hearing That's All and going, oh, I want to hear this b- new band and Dodo's the first thing mm-hmm. you hear, I think you're going to go, whoa. 
Yeah. Or you're going to yeah. be scared. <laughs> so. it, 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 it is an interesting uh, song, but, but again, so it does have an awful lot going on inside, and it yeah. and it, again, it flies in in the uh, in the face of, of that sparse production sound right. that it, that it gets credited with. Yeah. Right. Listening again, I've talked about the percussion of Phil Collins before. You know, during the Lurker section, when there's that little Tony Banks piece. There's actually percussion kind of being scraped along, like in time with the melody that Tony's playing. Yeah, it's one of my favorite, and it's uh, it's funny because if you had, I don't know, I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> well, I'll say Phil sings his heart out on this entire yeah. album. Yeah. I think oh, that you what know, I was gonna say is that if you if you hadn't been a, a '70s Genesis fan, right, you weren't familiar with speaking and song. So mm, this was right. probably a lot of people's first track where someone was speaking yeah. in the song right. at the end of, you know, at the yeah, yeah. Lurker mm-hmm. section, which when I play that for non-fans, they're like, why is he talking? I'm like, well, <laughs> right. that's yeah. Genesis. I mean, go back to I Know What I Like and you yeah. have It's One O'Clock. Sure. This is kind of like a little bit of a, a, a nod to that where he's sure. at the end I've never thought of that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think of it in that context either, so that's good. Aren't you glad I remembered what I was talking about? <laughs> yeah. That is very good. So, um, good. And now the next track, which is one of my favorites, Who Done It? I put a strong argument out there back in the days of the forum in 2007 that they should open with Who Done It on the on the reunion tour. What to get it over with? No, because it would be such a it would be such a such a just a crazy thing to do. Yeah, that people that would don't be... need to go to the bathroom right at the yeah, you need, yeah. Bathroom break songs are usually uh, about four or five in. I, yeah, that's I, what I loved pay. in I. I the interview that the, on the Abacab re-release uh, that they have, and Phil talks about being booed during this song, and he just looks so joyful talking about it. He's like, oh, they booed us. They hated this. And he's smiling so much when he talks about it, and that's what I love about this. I think, I think in Leiden, Holland was yes, the official booing concert right, if was, in bootleg terms. Yeah, yeah. Can yeah. I, I just want to reference one uh, thing. I always remember um, uh, the Ramones were recording with Phil Spector. Okay. And I, I remember Phil Spector was 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 fussing and farting about one song on the album, and I, and I think it was Joey Ramone that, that came up to to say to him, he said, "What's wrong?" And he goes, "Well, you know, I've just got to get this 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 track right. It's got to be brilliant." <laughs> and he said, "Phil, there's always going to be one worst track on the album, no matter how good the album <laughs> is." Right. And and I think what you can say is that sooner or later, there's always going to be the one track that you'll skip and. Sure. It, I don't know whether or not there's just the cult of uh, of, of of who done it being right. the, the 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 track that uh, yeah. that everybody sort of like loves to dislike. The funny thing is that when I first heard this album back way back in the Stone Age, you know, it was definitely a different track, but I didn't think it was like, oh my god, it's horrible. Like I was just like, wow, that's weird. And you know, went on, and it wasn't again until the the era of online communication that I realized that there was really this group of people who really hated this <laughs> and who really wanted to have other songs on in its place and everything. And I was just like, it's a fun little song. Like, I, I don't get why people hate it so much. 
I do really. I think but because, <laughs> it was, because it was. I think because it was so different and people didn't know how to. They didn't know what to think of it, and because you can't, you don't know what to think of it. That makes people uncomfortable, right. and that's where they're like, "Okay, I, I hate it." And right. I'll admit that my Abacab listening habits, I put it on, and after Dodo, I would <laughs> stop the album. And it right. didn't matter that there might have been some decent songs after Who Done It. Right. I just stopped it, and as years went by, I will listen to Who Done It. I like the I like the beat. I like right. the. I might be a nerd, but I know that there's 14 drum beats at the very end of the song. <laughs> <laughs> so I know. Yes, that is a nerd. So when so I end it, I end it right on the. Dun, very dun, good. Dun, 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 there's very 14. Good I I tend to think that you know some of the people say like, well the lyrics are horrible, whatever, and I'm like, what other lyrics for this weird little ditty are you right. going to have that you know he certainly isn't going to be something meaningful to this. It's a weird little song, and the lyrics are weird, and they're supposed to be, and they're. Annoying on purpose. I think that's. I always remember. I always associate this song. I call it the Very Light song. Sure. Okay. Because on the video, <laughs> it's the one where the Very Lights go absolutely yeah. bonkers. Exactly. Uh, I, Mike's playing the drums. And yeah, exactly. Tony has a snorkel on and a <laughs> diving mask. And they weren't taking themselves too seriously. No. They're having fun. I mean, Mike Rutherford's playing the drums on this. Yeah. And... Phil's drums, which are set up left-handed, so he's not even playing yeah. them right. Yeah. So more power to him for doing yeah. that. I will say that I think that it. They, when they did this live, they would do Man on the Corner into Who Done It, mm-hmm. And I think that had it been in that order on the album, it might have lessened people's dislike of Who Done It because you're getting Dodo, which is a little strange. Yep. Then you're getting Who Done It, which is like, oh my God, what is this? And then you get Man on the Corner as a, oh, okay, something starting with a little bit of a drum beat. <laughs> so it's a little bit more relaxing in a way. So are we, to- totally. are we talking yeah. about Man on the Corner now? I think it's a good segue. I really rate this. It was yeah. one of those tracks which I couldn't stand when I first heard the album, and now I really rate it. Yeah. It just goes to show that all oh, music's a living thing, and right. uh, you change as, as the years yeah. go by. I just, I just think it's a very cleverly arranged. Again, it's a, mm-hmm. it's another one of those tracks where you don't realise exactly how well it's been, it's been put together mm-hmm. until uh, you, you sit down and, and, and genuinely listen to it. That, funnily enough, it goes back to that, that Peter Gabriel three era um, mm-hmm. of, of not a huge amount of cymbals where right, he's just right, literally right. playing along yeah. with his, uh, with his, his tom-toms and his, uh, his snare, yeah. uh, but gives it that lift, gives it the exact yeah. amount of lift that you need. Right, and it's, an, you, it's a lyric that you can kind of latch on to, there's emotion to it, mm-hmm. and, it and it does grab you. And, and if you don't like it, it's over pretty quick, too. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you're right, I think that I, I used to not like this song as much. I thought it was kind of empty, and you know, I think that, you know, again, you hear different music at different times of your life, and you go, oh, okay, this actually works for me now. This is okay. 
So, yeah, I think I like it. It's I, not as bad as their older <laughs> mater- the material they did after this album. Right. <laughs> so I could tolerate it more. Right. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's all in comparison sometimes. Have but, you heard I Can't Dance? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I can't dance. But it so. just goes to show that, that your, uh, you know, a fan's relationship with, with yeah. the music is just like a, a musician's relationship with the music. It changes over time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting little song. And I don't know, did Phil write the lyrics to this one? Yeah, this is the yeah. solo song. Because yeah. I was going to say, like, this is, I think, maybe his first foray into that kind of social commentary yeah, type of sure. lyric he started to really take on. Well, uh, Another Day in Paradise kind yeah, of Yeah, type of thing. So this is, like, his first kind of statement uh, mm. song in a way. And, mm. yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, it certainly redeemed... Um, who done it for me? <laughs> that in itself is, I mean, uh, is even, a great achievement. That's even, right. even if it's sparse, it kind of yeah. matches the theme of the song. Like, you know, yeah. I'm just a man on the yeah, corner. Sure. Like, this, totally. I can go by and no one notices me. You know, the song yeah. just, it kind of does its thing and then kind of fades out. And yeah. it's just like the man on the corner. <sighs> Little slice Beautiful. of life. All right. Like it or not. This is this is the for me. This is the the moment on the album for me, like it or not. And there's a very good reason why I make mention of, of this. Right. Is that um, I didn't know this until I watched the uh, the documentary that came with the uh, the Genesis box set. Sure. Uh, in one of my favourite songs of all time, mm. um, it's a track by the Beach Boys called uh, "Sailor Sail On." Okay. And uh, it's from an album called from an album called Holland. And it's an amazing. I, I love it just because it's got these incredible, big sort of big classic Beach Boy harmonies. Sure. But it's got this lilt to it as well. Uh, and I I didn't know this until uh, I I saw the uh, the documentary that they kind of based the feel around that song. Mike was song. starting to get into his own with finally starting to move away from fairies and goblins and, yeah. and write about <laughs> and small love, and like love songs. So right. he was starting to actually. Put his heart on the paper. Yeah. So I think that's good. For me, the song isn't bad. It just doesn't do much for me. It's mm-hmm. I like the end of it. I think that there's some real emotion in there, but getting there isn't terribly interesting. I mean it's me. that, that part it's been a long it's been, been a long, 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 long time. Yeah. But if I'm right or if I'm wrong, does it matter anyway? I mean that's kind of relationships. Yeah, I, I think lyrically and and from a songwriting perspective, it's a great track. I don't like the sound of it. Yeah. First of all, I think overall they recorded this album. Like you said, they they recorded it in their new studio. Yeah. I think their new studio their their studio was actually started out as a coffee coffee tin <laughs> like a Folgers coffee tin from right. 1974 and that is what it sounds like it's recorded in my ears. You know, because I'm you know I know nothing, <laughs> but. So the sound of the song is the one thing that irks me about it. I feel like if they, I don't know, there's just, there's something kind of, hmm. there's, 
It's like a buzzsaw. Phil, <laughs> Phil Collins was. You got to. This is one of the reasons why I, I, I really I dislike the Phil Collins haters. That the, sure. the, the number of people, oh, and man. it happens much more in the UK than it does over here. Um, but you get he, you know, was a huge influence on the sound of the music in the eighties, sure. from the gating, from the way he yeah. played drums, from the personal perspective of the songs. You only have to listen to Steve Winwood's "Back in the High Life" right. to hear how yeah. exactly how much of a huge influence he had on popular music at that right. point. Yeah, the drumming. I love the gated drum. Like, oh my god, um, no jacket required. Like that's my favorite drum sound in the whole world, and I love you know you can hear it in this album and even in like it or not, but just I don't know I think it's the guitar sound that just I don't know it just doesn't yeah. I, I it's well, like remember nails it was on the their first board. pass at producing yeah, it themselves of course you, yeah. you know and I you know but that's just me I'm kind of half and half on the yeah. song in terms I, of liking it not liking yeah. it not it, I didn't it, it. listen to it again this week I didn't dislike it as much as I had in the past. Um, but I also, you know, it's the one track that wasn't a regular part of the live set from of the solo, the three solo songs that wasn't really done live other than a couple times on the U.S. tour. Um, and it just it just never grabbed me. It, it starts out too slow for me. Yeah, and I, and I don't mind slow songs, but it just kind of uh, meanders along for a while. Well, I'm with I'm with basically I'm with Tom yeah. on this. Is that I literally did stop at Dodo Lurker. Yeah, uh, that was where that was <laughs> where the album finished. Me. Sure, but it's like anything else. Years go by, you 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 revisit albums, right? And you you have you know, and this this was the song that caught me the second time around. Okay, so and it stayed with Fair me. Fair enough. Give Fair it ten years. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, let's you jump know. into another record. track on the album by the way last track now this this is an interesting thing because it, it started a conversation we had yesterday which is we being you and stacy myself and stacy yeah mm-hmm. um which is which is down to the fact that um i said that it was a poor finisher for okay. the album i didn't think this was the out uh, i actually want no, i would prefer agree with that no I would have said I would have finished it on Dodo Lurker. That would be no. my thing. I also no. No. There's another side to say that that would be the old way of old way of Genesis finishing on the big number. Do not ever question the the arrangement and raging genius of Phil Collins. Well, this brings us round to that. We want to yeah. discuss because one of the things that Phil I didn't know this until uh. Stacey had told me this is that 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 Phil Collins spent an awful lot of time, mm-hmm. I think almost from the moment he arrived yeah. with, with the band, that was his he would be the guy that would sequence the albums. Okay. He I, I, I haven't heard that myself, but yeah, I can he believe would, that. I'm told, <clears throat> I, you know, if someone out there wants to contact us and, right. and prove me wrong, that's by, you know, by all means do so. But I, uh, from what I'm told, yeah. he was the guy that used to say, well, I'd like him in this order. Yeah, I could, I could see him doing that because mm-hmm. he was very organised in the writing process that he was the guy who would, when they were writing off from jamming, 
that would organize the tapes and say, oh, we should listen to that bit, listen to this bit. He was very much like that. And when he left, I think uh, Mike Rutherford said that that was something that they really missed about Phil yeah. being there, really? was that he was the one who'd listened to all the tapes. He knew his shit. Yeah. So, so don't like, try to rearrange <laughs> the album now. It's perfect. I love the song. Yes. I think it's great. I know, but, and again, it's one of those songs that I didn't realize there was so much dislike for. When is there really? There is. Yeah. Some people, I, again, maybe because it's the last song on the album, maybe just because people think it kind of plods along or whatever. I don't think it's a bad song. I, I think it's a great song. It's not a bad song, I, but as an ending song. Mm. And, I mean, to end a yeah. record where it's like, it's funny, you know, because there's an old rock and roller, he's got nowhere to go. It's yeah. like when you think about it, okay, that ends the album, where are they going to go after right. Abacab? Yeah. There you go. Solo careers, joint careers. See? It all ties back. And I've heard, and I, I don't, don't, don't know if this is true, but I, people seem to say, again, it seems like common knowledge amongst fans that this was kind of left over from Duke. and Or they had started working really? on it during yeah. Duke and then did it finally for Abacab. I've never seen that in print in an interview, but it seems like one of those common knowledge things that must be out there somewhere. And it does have a bit of a Dukish feel to it. Which especially which that I'm opening sequence, yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. Maybe, now, maybe it was it. just that part too that was yeah. that was there. But I think it's a great close to a great album. How, how many lady balls do you? How give? many lady balls? I give it. I give it like. I like a lady ball. I, right? I give this album two and a half. And it's really painful when you do a half ball. Two and a half lady balls out of five. Two balls right. and a Lance Armstrong. Two and a half yeah. out of five. Two, really? Yeah. I, be, now look, when I do my ratings, is in the all context right. of their whole career. All right. All right. See, I'm with I'm definitely with uh, with Mike on this one. The fact that it was a, an album which I did not connect with when it was released, yeah. have returned to it, and since seen the value in it. Sure. Okay. There we go. If, if you mm. want to listen to this album, I, I kind of I agree with Stacy on the Stabber Cab on this one. Is that you got to listen to live at the Savoy, yeah. their boot when they played a okay. small yes. club in New York City yeah. called the Savoy, and they played. It was on either the. Abacab or the th- three size live. I think it was the Abacab tour. Yeah, yeah. And they just they tear the place apart. And these songs just really come to life on that yeah. that boot. For me, in terms of what I would pick to listen to, if someone said, "What Genesis albums do you need to listen to today?" I would probably mm-hmm. pick three or four on top of it. But once I listen to Abacab, I'm like, there are some great yeah. stuff on this yeah. album. And, and I'm I, like, yeah. wow, song after song. At least in every song, there's a little bit I can pick up. And, and most songs, I'm like, I love all the way through. And yeah. I think for me, I think. Dodo is the highlight of this one. Excellent. I think the five point one mix for me really opened this album up. I, mm. I'm a three. I'm a five point one fan. <laughs> and when I, one of the things when this came out, I was like, I gotta hear Dodo in five point one. But that's you know, again, yeah. it's different. Yeah. It, different approaches. Well, I think for me, so. live, I would watch Phil, Mike, and Tony play the instrumental part, and just yeah. I think just watching them. Oh yeah, it gave mm-hmm. me this feeling of okay, it's the three of them. They're really doing it. Yeah. These guys have been playing together for 15 years at that point on the yeah. on the Invisible Touch, actually 17 years on the Invisible Touch tour, and they were in their mid 30s. Yeah. I mean, these are people who played together forever. So, great what stuff. a strange thing, isn't it, to 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 remember that that we a lot of Genesis fans think as Avocab as being part of the end game of the band. Yeah. When you do, when when you look back at it, you suddenly realise these were still young men yeah. doing yeah. their business. Yeah. So they were in their early 30s at that point. So we're going to take a quick break here, give you guys, listeners, a little 30-second, 15-second, 10-second break, and we'll be right back.
Is the Phil Collins era of Genesis the best? I have no idea. <laughs> but I do know you're listening to Progzilla. back now with uh, the second part. I won't say half because I don't think we'll go as long. Um, we're going to talk about B-sides and live experience in the Abacab era. So let's start with something that's you know, was the big song of the B-sides, Paper Late. See, I love this track. Yeah. I really do like this track. I think as, as, a, as a pop song, it's, it's got just about everything you could possibly want. It's got Members of Genesis singing a Genesis song. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> they are Genesis doing their thing. So. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what's the, what's the song about? Uh, well, the, I always remember hearing that, that it, it, it came out of a, a jam. Yeah. It was apparently it was a sound check, and he sound was check. singing something from Dancing with the Moon yeah, at the night. Paper late line there. Yeah. So. And uh, that's that's what. But I, you know, it could also be to do. No, I think I think I've heard them say where he just Phil just kept repeating. Paper late, paper late, and yeah, they jammed on it for a bit, and a couple years later they recorded it. Guys are so creative. Yeah, I'd love to. (laughs) I'd love to find that live sound check jam on tape somewhere to see what it sounded like. And also one of the catchiest drum intros because. Oh yeah. Collins. oh yeah! Oh yeah! Phil knows how to do a catchy drum intro. You know, it's a sexy drum intro. I have to admit. And a trivia question, which I think is the only Genesis trivia my wife knows, is that what are the only two songs that feature the Phoenix horns? No reply at all on paper late. That yeah. is correct. Oh, okay. Yes. So, I think it's it's a good track. I could see why it was left off in place of no reply at all because I think mm-hmm. no reply at all has a bit more meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to listen to paper late a bit more to see if it's really about anything. I, I, I it's probably not, but it, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's okay with me. I just yeah. I think I've always liked the line. There's no need to be nice on the way up because you're not coming down. Yeah. Oh, it's right. like it was a very positive song. Like you're 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 not going to have anything but success. You want. So step right. on all the people you want. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You're not I'm getting the sense here that Tom is going to be the lyrical color man. That's here, right. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good with that. So. Um, all right. Any I, other? Right? I was just gonna say I love the drum sound on yeah. this song. Yes. That's one of my favorite things about this track. You right. know, if you haven't picked up already, I think Phil Collins is amazing, yes. and I'm I love him dearly. But um, I think yeah, the, it's such a here. yeah, it's such a great, strong, crisp sound, and uh, that's you know what I really loved about it. The horn part actually. I'm with you. I, I prefer, uh, prefer the no reply at all yeah. um, horns, but uh, yeah, it's, it's still a strong track. Like you think about B sides, and they're supposed yeah. to be like lame, shitty versions of what <laughs> they put on the album. But for Genesis, I mean, historically, yeah. um, have always been solid tracks in my opinion, except for one, which we'll probably get into in a little bit. <laughs> well, there's, 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 also, there's also things that this is. How many EPs did they release? Because I'm only well, aware of the Spot the Pigeon and, and the 3x3. Three three. There was the paper, it was the 3x3, three three, so that there were that basically two, yeah, with paper laid okay. on it. They were released here in the US as the three extra songs instead of 
the fourth live side of Three Sides yeah. Live. Okay. So here we didn't get the three by three release. Right. Maybe okay, as an import, yeah. it was around in different places. So, but um, you might recall. They did. Um, suck it does not suck ass. <laughs> it was amazing. I'll tell you, this is the perfect gel of uh, Collins, Banks, and Rutherford. The chorus, everything is just magic. I love it. Ten lady boners out of five. It's amazing. I love it. So, uh, <laughs> why don't I like it? Yeah. Um, I find the from the moment it starts, I find it annoying and cloying. Oh, Can right. I just say something on the 5.1 remaster? That intro is worse than yes, it is. I, yes I, I okay, thank that, you. Yeah. Than than what they released it, you know, analog or, or, or doubly, like whatever more. the hell it was before <laughs> they did the 5.1 is worse. Really? Okay. On the 5.1, it's more clangy to me, and huh. I, it bothers me. Like I actually clangy. Yeah, I deleted the 5.1 from my iPod because huh. I didn't like that version. But as a song. Listen to it on the headphones. All right. All Put right. that and no reply at all on the headphones. <laughs> and then I want you to call me and say, I'm so sorry, Stacey. Well, I like no reply at all. There's, I have no problem with that. No, I was wrong. <laughs> but you might recall, I mean, the, I've always agreed that it shouldn't have gone on the album when people say, oh, instead of Who Done It, it should have been You Might Recall. I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, it's, Who Done It was just so different for me. And You Might Recall is... Yeah, it, the verses don't do anything for me. The actual chorus is okay. I where where he has the line you might recall in it, um, and it tends to go on a bit too long. But I think that that's that's my issue. No, well, it. you know, I feel you on that because I I don't think it should have replaced Who Done It because it to me it has that same feel and approach as No Reply at All. So I can okay. see Phil Collins, genius arranger, <laughs> was like, these two are too similar. Sure. I'm not going to have them on the same album. Right, so which one do you so go with? So which one do you go with? And I think for time, maybe time reasons, yeah. um, it went with No Reply yeah. at All. And, of course, the horns. If they're going to feature yeah. one of the tracks that they recorded, the Phoenix, they, they paid these guys to yeah. come we in. Just, they're like, we better yeah. fucking put them on the album. This brings me around to something we were just chatting about yeah. off, off mic uh, during the break, which is... The fact that, that we are still in the vinyl age at this right. point and there yeah. are sides to be built yeah. right. on... on and, uh, and had this been... And restricted by time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And had these songs been the songs in 1991 for We Can't Dance, where that album was 70-some minutes long... Right. Too long. This would have, yeah, <laughs> this would have probably ended up on a complete album with that. Right. Um, and it would be fine that way, you know? It's... It is, I mean, I like joking that it's a horrible song, but it, it's not horrible. It's just that it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, I can and get that, yeah. That's okay. I think part of the mystique cool. is that it was not an album, so it's almost like this hidden gem that right. Genesis yeah. fans have kind of yeah. like And had Who Done It not been on the album, it. people would have been like, this is so different and so yeah. great. You know what? Why I think wasn't you're right. this on the album? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I agree with both of you, except 
I look at it as, as kind of like a roller coaster. Like the very beginning of the song, dun dun dun, is like when I'm going to the roller coaster. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta get through it and to I get to the roller coaster. And I don't like that first part. But once it starts, then I'm on a roller yeah. coaster. So if I can just get past that first part, then yeah. I'm okay with it. Then I'm I love it. I'm telling you, the 5.1 mix right. is shit. Don't buy it. Get the actual, if you can find it somewhere in some used record shop, yeah. get the original. Well, release. the original mix is on the Archive 2 box oh, that's set right. also. Yes. So if you have that, it's on there. But the next track, Me and Virgil, is not on. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on the Archive 2 box set because Thank Genesis God. all hate it. I actually like the song because what is it is. With you? It's, it's a awful. very. Yeah, it's, it's uh. well, because for me, it's a different kind of story song that, you know, it gets a little wayward in the middle. Again, I see why it's not on the album, and I actually am not arguing that it should be on the album, but I like the song for what it is. That that era of, of, uh, of Genesis, I, yeah. I, never, I never kind of associate. Um, me and Virgil with that era for some sure. reason. It does hark back to something which yeah. is a little bit more older Genesis with it. There's a sort of like a grand theme to it or a narrative yeah. and they have movements. Stacy's in know? pain, it looks like, <laughs> it as you're talking about this song. Oh, so. <laughs> this is the first time I actually realized. How many kicks to lady so, balls in yeah. this song? This is, <laughs> they have retracted up into yes. our body at this point. Yes, it, I, they're coming through my mouth at this point. But, um... Oh, Thanks this, for that visual image. Anytime, honey. Um, so the, the thing with me and Virgil, this was the first time as a Genesis fan. And I'll tell you, Genesis is my favorite group. They always have been. They always will be. Every other band I listen to is held up to this standard. Sure. So every, the Genesis' worst song is better than other bands' best songs, except for me and Virgil. I don't like the, the other song that really, like, just... Oh, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard is uh, your own special way oh. from Wind and Weathering. And, but this song is just really like, I had, I had such a complex. I had a crisis when I first heard this because it just, it, I don't know. I can't put words yeah. to it because it's, it's just such a visceral <laughs> feeling. Well, I, think where, I think where I went from, it's like the opposite of Who Done It, where I hated it at first yeah. and now I've come to like it. I had the opposite with me and Virgil. Is that at first... I liked it. I remember listening to this song yeah. in high school on the three sides live cassette, the yeah. four, the five. Yeah. Because you were willing to love everything I they did no matter what. And I remember listening to the song specifically, and towards the end, it went through all the ranges. And, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and when Phil's saying about, oh, my mom, she's gone, whatever, I was like, I think I actually got a tear in my eye. I think, I did, I did, <laughs> you're I, a big boy now, that, Tom. You're a big yeah. boy now. That brought a tear to my eye, and that's probably one of my most embarrassing Genesis moments. I have a lot more, <laughs> which we'll get to. I think it's a beautiful we'll lyric. Sure. Honestly, yeah. if I read it on paper without the music, I would like it. All right. But and now, I, I, think, I, think, I think Stab a Cab's dislike of it has sort of seeped into me where yeah. it kind of has affected my when I listen to him like bad influence that's oh, Phil in his Alamo loving western yes. kind of alright so the next tracks uh, there's the two instrumental tracks Submarine and well Namananu is not quite instrumental but it's yeah. not really lyrics either
one is the one that speaks to me very much as a sort of musician. Uh, it's it is very mm-hmm. Los Endosy, yes. yes. Sort of what Gorilla kind of sort sure. of like that kind of mm-hmm. that. I era. love the repetition of it. but it it also has some some really nice uh, little bits. Uh, totally agree. It should have been a B side. There's right. I don't really think yeah. it, it or a yeah. part of something yeah. else. Yeah. But it is uh, as a song as an instrumental, and let's face it, they were very good at playing yes. uh, instrumentals. Yeah. Um, it's not a bad little track, yeah. actually. If, you know, you can imagine that they were sitting in a room, yeah. and that riff start started up, yeah. and uh, and they, you, I can imagine they probably were going, yeah, actually, this works. Yeah, you this know. is one of the few Genesis albums without a re. I mean, Abacab is one of the few Genesis mm. albums without a honest to god instrumental on it. Mm, yeah. There's a couple other ones. I mean, Sub- uh, Foxtrot doesn't have one, but there's stretches of Supper's Ready that are, you know, all yeah. Horizons is instrumental. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, <sighs> You're <sighs> done. Get out, Get out of here. I would, I would argue that. Slightly, <laughs> tabletop this I, yeah. Yeah. I object. I am the yes. Genesis idiot at this All table. Right. Let's not let's not try and pinch upon my Each area. village yeah. has an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I am the Genesis idiot. But, but I, I love both of them. Submarine yeah. is I mean mm-hmm. I love Nominanu more. Yes, me too. Submarine is more kind of laid back, mm-hmm. like again, more of an intro or an interlude within another piece. Just shows again. I think the where their heads were at when they were writing these this album, mm-hmm. saying like, "Oh, we have our songs. We have our kind of, you know, almost like ambient, you know, Pink Floydish kind of uh, very laid back instrumental here. We have our country and western song, our other horn song that we're gonna try, um, and we're it's it was a real interesting mix there. And it's a very dark sounding EP as well. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about some of the other. Um, uh, some of the other material that they produced, uh, both before and after, this is probably the sort of... I mean, I know that they were just, as we discussed right. earlier, that they, they just arrived at the farm. They were probably yeah. still feeling out how oh, sure. to record there. Uh, and there is, it's a very loose-sounding yeah. uh, EP. And in fact, you could say that the, uh, um, the one thing about Abacab, which sets it apart from a lot of the other materials, it's probably the loosest album. If mm-hmm. you, if, in in terms of sort of like the way that the the the, the, uh, the playing is is phrased, sure. There's an off, you know, up until that point, there were incredibly sort of like tight arrangements, and mm-hmm. but it was still these musicians because they had played together for so yeah, long together yeah. that their looseness was very tight. Yeah, I mean, if that the, makes sense. The, yeah, no, the way, best yeah. way to describe it is that, that this is an album which 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 lives on its chemistry between the right. band exactly. members. Right. They this couldn't would, have done this album yeah. 10 this years would, ago. This wouldn't have been a yeah. first album from anyone. No, no. no. Um, so, yeah. So with that, going in, they toured after this album, obviously. Yeah. They did the Abacab tour in the US and mm. uh, Europe, and then they did the Three Sides Live tour the following summer of 82. Um which was right before the Milton Keynes reunion, and then they went in to record the Mama album after that. None of us actually saw the Abacab tour, but what do we think of 
Three Sides Live and what we've heard maybe well, of bootlegs. Funnily enough, Three Sides Live was the very first album that I ever bought by Genesis. Bravo. So it was the... Yeah. Um, a good first choice, I yeah. have to say. Well, I so. had, a, I had a, uh, a thing which, I mean, this might not uh, gel over here, but I was a young penniless student and I found that um, with live albums, they were normally priced lower. Sure. To get people to buy them, and they Price were almost, and they featured all of their all best. Of the, yeah. exactly. They were almost the best of them in some ways. Yeah. Merlin album was Thieving Magpie. Exactly, and my first Yes album was the Yes Show. Excellent. So uh, you know, it just goes to show that that yeah. you know that's a good introduction to a band. Yeah. I, to my, anybody my out, first and last album of the Eagles was their live album. There we are. <laughs> I would say if there are any young people out there, and let's face it, there aren't. Um, it's uh, if you are, if you really do want to get into a, a band, I would always suggest yeah. choose a live album first. Yeah. yeah. Except for Queen, Live Killers is a horrible album. That's the exception that proves the, the rule. rule. Yeah. Go for any other yeah. Queen album except for Live Killers. I love this. Uh, I mean, this era of live. Uh, Genesis mm -hmm. was great. They had been touring forever. They knew each other inside out. You watched the Three Sides Live video. This is a band that knew what they were doing. You know, played a lot of and great they had songs. Daryl and Chester for for a couple tours up until this right. point. So they, they were played in. Yeah, they kind of they knew the score. Um, and you know, just their age and everything just came together. It right. was like the lining of the planets, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because again, going back to Wikipedia, they actually do have a, a set list here. Of, yeah. um, and it's of, a great satellite. And it, yeah. it really is very yeah. much a sort of like, um, yeah. as we, when we were talking earlier on mm -hmm. about it being a midpoint in their career, yeah. there's just the sort of like the, the kind of mix that you'd expect yeah. from a yeah. band that's been on the road for, for a long period of time yeah. that, that has a, a fairly large back catalogue to yeah. plunder. Um, some interesting choices. I mean, you've got, they would, <laughs> they would do... Uh, no, no reply at all, and then go straight into Firth of Fifth, and then <laughs> go to Man on the Corner. Yeah. Wow! So the, you know that's a that's a fairly yeah the, that's know. a that's a deep songbook right mm. there. Uh, I I just remember that the the first boots that I heard, I knew that they opened with Behind the Lines and Duchess, and then as Duchess faded out, they would start Land Lies Down on Broadway. playing fantastically they are all ripping through this material yeah. um and it's a great era of live genesis uh, i'm happy that one of the boots that i have of the song the tour at the end the last dates they do in england uh in december some of which end up on three sides live they do pull out the knife as one of the on you know i was there, just looking so. at that because it says here the knife was performed at the last show in yep. birmingham on 23rd of december 1981 yeah. and they ripped through that i wonder whether that was that the last time they ever played it yes no, the, well they, no at the reunion at the reunion yeah. but the last time that you know a touring version of genesis right. Played oh, right. it. yes okay. so um i think that it's it's one of the, to me, I always thought of this, and this has never, I think, been said in interviews, but I almost thought that this and the um, 
the Three Sides Live tour in 82, were almost a way of saying goodbye to some of the older material. Yeah. I mean, they played Supper's Ready in Summers of 82, and they played the ending part amazingly on the Invisible Touch tour. Uh, again, imagine what some of those people thought with, with this <laughs> happening. Uh, it's... But it was a way of kind of putting some of that material to bed. Mm-hmm. Because if they said this, if this album was a transition album, some of that old material that had been staples of the set list of I Know What I Like being the fine, like the encore song up until then, of, you know, always ending with Dance on a Volcano into Drum Duet into Los Endos was always the end of the set from. 77 onwards until 81 not a big stretch of time now but that was four or five tours for them back then and had they kept that up they would have become a live kind of version of themselves like some of the progressive bands are nowadays where they have a song but they have a deep catalog but can only play 10 of their songs live because that's all their fans will contend it's the tyranny of fandom at work isn't it in some ways yeah well i just just wish that the reissue of Three Sides Live, I wasn't exactly happy with it. It didn't sound as dynamic as I wish it had been because mm. it doesn't do justice the amount of times that I listened to the cassette when it first came out, which must have been my third or fourth Genesis after Invisible Touch, mm-hmm. the Genesis album, I might have gotten Three Sides Live next. And it just, as you did, Stab yeah. you listened to the crap out of it. Yeah. And yeah. just the playing... And I remember listening to the first time, I think right after this, I bought the Mama Tour video. Oh, yeah. And oh, in the cage was like no other song I'd ever heard oh, before. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, what is this song? I'm like, what album is this from? Yeah. And so that made me go get this at a flea band? market, yeah. Landmines Down on Broadway. So yeah. this this live album for me, it's your just gateway. brings back so many memories. Yeah. It was my gateway to older Genesis. Yeah. I think all of us here that have been drawn to this music listen to it because. At some point, we kind of went, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> that and, was like the tip of the iceberg that yeah. you're like, there is something bigger beneath the surface that I'm not aware of, but right. if I explore it, it's going to blow my mind. Yeah. Any final <laughs> words for Abacab as I we think, wrap up? I think to wrap up, it, I, I agree with, to go back to something which I think you said very early on in, in the podcast, is that this is the forgotten album. Yeah. This is the album that, and it, I think it shows in the fact that it no longer figures in any live Material right. after uh, you said yeah. it was, it, it it was Tom who touch. mentioned that, but after Invisible oh, Touch, okay, yeah. they never and did. even Invisible Touch was only the song Abacab yeah. itself. So. And it is it is a transition album uh, mm-hmm. from from effectively the the, the world that was mm-hmm. um, uh, capes and, uh, and long songs <laughs> to uh, to mullets and rugby shirts. And uh, sweatpants and no tops. And sweatpants <laughs> right. and no tops. Yeah, this is this is when Genesis looked like roadies on stage, and I love that. <laughs> yeah. There are no words to describe how right. much I love that. Yeah. I would yeah. also I would yeah. also venture to uh, uh, to say that probably between Duke and the Shapes album, the uh, Genesis, the Mama album, um, they were probably one of the best live acts to, to witness. I mean, I think so. I mean, I'm not dissing what they did before or, or after. Sure. I'm just talking personally. I think they were so on top of their game mm-hmm. and they were heavy in a way that no other band was heavy. This double drum setup yeah. um, and this... The and sheer, drummers of that quality yeah, too. The right. sheer ferocity of the yeah. playing behind those drums was, yeah. was astonishing. And when you consider the, the, the power and yet the control that was being exerted at mm-hmm. the same time, it, they must have been a sight to see around about that era. Agreed. So, other final words? Any? I think, I think just for me, if they say, well, if you had a time machine, if you go back to one concert, yeah. 
would it be? A lot of people say, well, I'd like to see The Lamb. I'd like to see, you know, maybe a Selling England show. But I think just for hearing the crowd completely go nuts for a, a band would be, as I said before, the Savoy show where they did the Abacab stuff yeah. and a mixture of older stuff, Firth of Fifth, yeah. Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Yeah. I mean, where Phil's using the word bitch in Lamb Lies Down on Broadway <laughs> live. I mean, they were just going all out. Like, yeah. that was a concert to be at. Yeah, agreed. Stacy, um, this is an album. This is probably the only a- Genesis album I can smell. And I don't know if that makes any sense to people, but there is such a there's a, there's another dimension of Genesis coming out in this album to me, and I can feel it. It's gritty. It's raw. It's dirty. Um, particularly when they take it out on the road, um, I think you know Chester and Daryl just totally add another level to mm-hmm. it, um, and so. If you if you know if you're you're not so familiar with Genesis, um, but you like something a little edge, a little weird, um, you know this is where you, you should definitely check out this album. It, it's got it's such complexity. Like I said, I'm not so thrilled on the sound of it per se in terms of some maybe some of their other albums, mm-hmm. but for songwriting perspective and the rawness and just their pure honesty, um, this is this is Genesis at one of their best. Excellent. I can't say any more because it's already all been said around this table. So, thank you. I know, I know. I'll, I'll be sure to add more later on. So we will be back with another Hopefully. album. Yeah, exactly. Yes. We will be back with another album. We've enjoyed talking about this. We hope you enjoyed listening to it also. We're going to set up some sort of email account so you can reach out to us and contact us at some point which we'll have for the next uh, podcast we do. So thank you very much from Tabletop Genesis. I'm Mike Lord, and this is... Uh, Stacey Hartung-Godfrey. Simon Godfrey. Tom Roche. And we are wrapping up for today. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>